In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, make us worthy to pray with all thanksgiving. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation. There is an evil one in Christ, you so, Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Um, so forgive me. I'm recycling a talk, um, which I don't like to do too much because um, I'm traveling, but also because, um, yeah, the trespass thing has stuck. I need to stop. Uh, <laughs> Um, but also because the majority of uh, Q&A questions that I seem to be getting and the majority of emails um, are around this subject. Um, so I wanted to, to talk about it again. I have before. So those of you who heard this talk, please feel free to peace out. No problem. Um, there will be no offense taken. Uh, but it might be worth revisiting once in a while and then hearing maybe some of the the questions that come from after it, because I think this seems to be something that people get really stuck up on, um, understandably, but that they, I think if you don't understand it the right way, you'll just stay stuck. So I want to differentiate when we have this conversation. Um, I don't like this, but big things from little things. And Technically, almost anything can be a big thing. But what I mean is, I think most people, when they're thinking about the will of God, are thinking about like major life decisions. Um, okay, hold on. I'm getting messages. Are, are there multiple people who are saying they can't hear me? I'm getting a message from someone saying they can't see or hear. Can those with your cams on give a thumbs up if you can? Okay, perfect. Okay. I'm sorry to that person. You might want to exit and, and restart. Um, so I'm going to talk about it as, as theory and then like get into like the, the concepts to keep in mind because I don't really believe in personally in formulaic methods of discerning God's will, even though there are things that are consistent about the way that God speaks. Okay. Because if you say, okay, in 12 easy steps, you can discern God's will, then you can go through this checklist and then find out that you still didn't do God's will or that you are just as clueless as when you started. And then you'll get really, really frustrated and then be like, this system doesn't work, give me a new one. Um, so at the core of all of this, I always like to start off with a quote from the Desert Fathers because I think it's the most telling of everything. Abba Piman said, the will of man your will, the will of humans, is a brass wall between him and God and a stumbling stone. When a man renounces it, his own will, he is also saying to himself, by my God, I can leave op leap over the wall. If a man's will is in line with what is right, then he can really labor. And this is the most telling because the most, the, the encapsulating thing is about what does your will look like is almost more important in this equation than what God's will looks like. Because a, a true Christian is struggling to do what's right, which is going to always be in communion with God. But we'll, we'll get into that. Um, 
And so people will hear verses like, and this is the confidence which we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So there's always this caveat of if it's his will. And I think that's why most people are worked up about God's will. I think if that didn't seem like a caveat to prayer, people wouldn't care what God's will is. Um, but because it was thrown in there, then it's like, oh, well, we better care. So God's will can be can be tough. It can be. I actually think it can also be super easy sometimes too. Um, but there's not, like we said, a simple answer or formula. And it's going to require an immense amount of, and I always make the same joke over and over, forgive me if you heard it before, but of patience, prayer, honesty, patience, 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 patience. Um, because most people, what they want is this magical thing where they're like, God, do I do this? And then they rub their eight ball, which can be a buna, it can be their altar ballad, it could be their best friend, it could be Tansuhir, that's so holy, she drips oil. It can be any of these people, and we think that they magically just say, aha, ta-da, this is what you do. And honestly, life would be so much easier if that's how it was, to be honest. Um, but because God's real and we're real, things don't work like that, because that's, that's not real life. Um, it is occasionally, but in general, it's not. So there's going to be an importance that we're going to get into about neutrality, about killing the will and all those things. But I want to start, I want to step back before we get into that of saying, what are you seeking the will of God for? So if we look biblically, if we look at the Old Testament, they'd ask God, should we go to war or not go to war? Should we ally with Egypt or should we not ally with Egypt? They're asking about these really big things. David, for example, King David, um, went to God and saying, hey, the Philistines are coming. Fight, don't fight, right? Sometimes God was saying, don't. Sometimes saying, go. Actually, at one point, David ends up being um, collaborator with the Philistines. Um, so there's, there's these things that they, that they do. Um, but... Don't confuse the will of God with feelings of perpetual bliss. Okay? What I mean by that is not that God's will isn't going to give you peace, because we're going to talk about how it should give you peace, but that God's will doesn't mean things are going to be cute and fuzzy and, like, you can make a teddy bear in its name. No. Right? For example, David was willing, looking for God's will in whatever situation he was in. So God wanted King David to become king. But that was not fun for King David. I don't mean being king was not fun. That, that wasn't. But the, the, while he was waiting to be king, his life sucked. He was in hiding. He was a fugitive. King Saul kept on trying to kill him. He couldn't show himself in public when he needed food or drink because, because they might kill him. That wasn't easy. Right? So knowing what God's will is doesn't mean that what follows is like a walk in the park. Okay, because if that's what your expectation is, that's like pretending that humans don't exist and that nobody else has a will. We all have a will and they're going to come clashing with one another often. Okay, so don't confuse God's will with perpetual bliss. Don't confuse God's will for God overriding things. Okay, so for example, God didn't want the Israelites to be in captivity. But because of their own will, they ended up in captivity. So God wasn't like, well, I'm going to override what should happen based on your behavior just because you're my, in my fan club, right? That's not relationship, and I wasn't looking for a fan club, right? So sometimes we think that in God's will, sometimes what we're praying for is for God to override things. And we all do that. I do that all the time, 
right? And we're allowed to ask that. I'm just saying don't confuse God's will for that, right? Don't think that God's will is equated with stepping in and, and changing things. And also don't confuse the will of God with human will or events, right? Because there are events that may actually have nothing to do with God. In the sense that he, he's not the one who told anyone to do anything. People just did it. And those, those decisions became actions. Those actions had consequences. And people were affected by those consequences. And so that doesn't mean that that was God's will. Because I'm one of those people that go crazy when people would say things like, we would be so inconsistent. Where you tell somebody like, okay, yeah, I didn't get this job. And they're like, oh, Malish Habibi, it probably wasn't God's will. And you're like, oh, that sucks. And then, and then two weeks later, they send you another email and be like, actually, things worked out. We went through everything. And um, actually, we can hire you. And then suddenly, the same people who said it wasn't God's will are like, see, it was God's will. See, it was, and it's like, so which one was his will? Um, and so is it possible that God had a will in there? It is. It is possible. But, but sometimes it had nothing to do with him, right? Like, I don't know, sometimes there's an, like, we'll, we'll get into it. Um, so as we get into it, I have some underlying assumptions. Otherwise, this conversation is stupid, okay? Number one, I'm assuming that everybody wants salvation, okay? Number two, I'm assuming that everyone believes that God actually cares, not theoretically cares, that he actually cares. Um, and number three, uh, that you have a sense of discipleship. Because discerning God's will um, could use a lot of discipleship to be trained in it, because it's, it's not always obvious. Um, I think it becomes more obvious and becomes more easy, but there does need to be help with it, in my opinion. So... I'm going to give a general kind of analogy that I overuse, and then I'm going to get into the, the theory. I'm going to borrow some things from Father Athanasius Iskander that he wrote in his book. And then there's other things that I want to emphasize because I think they're important to emphasize as well. Um, God's will for all of humanity is salvation. So, we don't need to assume that God has a specific will, per se, for every individual on every nitty-gritty detail. Right? So, by that, what I mean is, when God created humans, he said, I made you in my image and likeness. Till the earth, subdue it. He basically said, go chill, have fun. We're friends. Don't do anything wrong. That's it. It wasn't, okay, Adam, come here. Here's your schedule. From four to seven, you'll be tilling this earth. From five to eight, you'll be feeling, feeding the animals. Um, you can break for lunch at some point. And then from these, he didn't do any of that. He just said, do your thing. Do your thing. Um, just don't do wrong. The only, he literally said, there's only one thing I'm asking you. <laughs> just don't do this one thing. Anything else, totally up to you. Not even telling you how much to eat, right? So there's this freedom in him. What he wanted was our unity with him, his rela our relationship with him. Um, that's all he wanted. And until this day, that's what he wants. He wants everybody's salvation. So 
if we look at things as, um, I, again, I hate the analogy, but we're going to use it, corporate, okay, is that the mission statement of this organization is salvation. Now, within the company or within this organization, there are rules, okay? But the rules and the functioning of the company or the organization are all moving towards the same mission statement, salvation. So inevitably, there are positions of quote-unquote authority, and then there are other positions. So for example, there are CEOs, COOs, CFOs, or whatever the new titles that we're throwing around are these days, but there's, there's, there's rules, okay? Department head, what have you. So within that organization, God may want some people to fulfill particular tasks in that, okay? And so these are, these are people he might call specifically of saying, no, I specifically want this person to do this, okay? So um, this person, I want to be CEO, I want to be this. Because in this organization, everybody's equal in terms of their humanity. But for the running of this organization, we need different roles, and we need them and every role is important. Whether you're a COO or not, you're still important, right? That's why our God cares about every individual person, not leaders, not just leaders, I should say. Now, within that, you've got people who are working and there are some people where God might say, here's a job I want for you specifically because of your characteristics and traits that you have, where you would do really, really well in this department. Right. Somebody else, he might say, um, honestly, you have a skill set that could work almost anywhere where you might prefer this over that. But I'd actually kind of like you to work with this team because with your personality, you are su you're going to be a big motivator. You guys are all going to be driving really, really well together very naturally. So I kind of want you to go here um, with others. He's like, yeah, no, for you, um, go wherever you want, go wherever you want, do your thing, because the, the gift that you have can be applied anywhere right so that's kind of like the big level stuff like the specific callings if you will and by callings here i'm not just talking about priesthood and bishoping and, and monasticism and nuns and, and and that kind of stuff i'm actually talking about people do have different vocations right so there are some people who might actually be specifically called to marry one person and another person not there's somebody who might god might say i actually want you to be an engineer and you want to be a doctor and someone else says do whatever you want there's someone he might say you go to Spain. I need you there right now. And another person is like, whatever you want. Do you want to go to Cambridge? Do you want to go to Oshawa? What do you want? And so it's, it's, these are those kinds of callings where sometimes God does want something specific. He really sometimes does. But there's also the general functioning of how things go, right? Of now within my normal day-to-day -day life in this organization, how do I go about my tasks? Okay, so that's the analogy I want to use as we get into the concepts. So let's get into the concepts, okay? Um, which is when you're trying to discern a thought or an idea or a decision, whether or not it's from God, right? So anything demonic we don't want, right? A lot of human thoughts are dumb, but whatever. Um, we'll still look at how to differentiate those. Um, sometimes we have good ideas, sometimes we don't. But we're not always to be trusted and trusting ourselves is usually a bad idea. Um, that's why I'm saying I, I'm assuming that everybody cares about discipleship. 
So the first thing to assess when you have an idea or a thought or, or an inclination that something might be God's will is um, these first few are, are from Abuna's book, um, and then I'm going to switch off, is, um, is it filled with the fear of God? By that, it's like, does this fear means to revere, to honor, right? Of saying, is this consistent with who God is, what God has taught us, with what God is, like who he is, right? Like, if I have an idea um, of like, I need, I need to put this person in their place by insulting them because I think that God wants me to help them become more humble. I'm being dramatic but we do this in, in smaller things it's like no god when, since, when has the gospel ever said yeah go and treat people like garbage right or um i think this might be god's will but i won't be able to have communion like ever by taking this job right or here's um Here's a person that I think God must want me to be with because she came out of nowhere. Yeah, sure. She hates God. She's an atheist and I will never be able to serve again or go to church. But why else would God, why else would she suddenly be in my life? I'm not actually, this one, I'm not exaggerating. This one I've seen happen, right? Where it's like, uh, something from God isn't going to come with denying God, right? He's not like, I gotcha. It's just testing you, right? Like that's, that's, that's not a thing. So is the thought consistent? with the fear of God? Is it consistent with the gospel? Right? Or is there something intrinsically wrong? Because if it's intrinsically wrong, throw it out. Okay? Number two, is the thought filled with goodness towards everyone? Or is it a very selfish thing? Right? Like, am I, am I doing something that benefits me, but actually makes everyone else suffer? Because we have to think communally, not just for ourselves. Um, does it agree with the witness and actions of the Lord and the apostles and the saints? Right? Like, like, could you picture, like, like actually ask the question, what would Jesus do? But can you picture the saints doing what you're doing? Right? Can, can you really, really picture that? Those are, those are questions to ask. Does the thought bring peace and tranquility? I'm not going to spend that one very long on it right now. I'm going to come back to that one because I want to dwell more on it. Um, because, in general, thoughts from God are not um, intrusive and loud and forceful and angry or really like working you up. That's not usually how God works. Um, that's why the story of Elijah is often quoted, right? When he, um, from First Kings, when he was worked up and he needed to find out what God wanted, and he's like, I need to go consult God. And he goes out and he goes to the mountains and then he hears an earthquake. And after the earthquake was a fire um, and, and all these things, it was, and the Lord was not in the earthquake and the Lord was not in this and the Lord was not in that. He was not in the wind. He was not in the mountains. He was not in the earthquake. He was not in the fire. Where was God? It was a still, small voice, like a gentle breeze. Okay, God's, God's thoughts don't work people up. Um, so how do we go about doing this? Okay. Our will, our will is short term. We're based very much on temporal factors, money, happiness, um, staying where we want to be is often a big one, security, familiarity. Um, 
And those things are not intrinsically wrong. Okay, I'm not trying to say that anyone who thinks those things is, is doing or thinking something wrong. It's just our, it's, it's our natural inclination. And so they, they often become biases. So they're incomplete. So the most important thing, number one, is that you need to learn how to kill your will. Okay, so um, the analogy that Theophan the recluse gives is, is a glass of vinegar that if you want to receive a cold glass of water in it, you need to wash it out first so that, it, so that when you put water in, it doesn't taste like vinegar. And so he's saying that's like the will of God. You need to, you need to wash out the cup from what you want um, and so that you can hear God's voice. So this requires, to be honest with you, this is why to me God's will means you first having faithfulness in the small. If you're not used to living the gospel, it's going to be very hard because you never kill your will. So suddenly trying to kill your will for something big, quote unquote, marriage, job, profession, um, priesthood, monasticism, right? If you're just suddenly um, trying to find out God's will in the big thing, it's going to be very hard if you haven't been doing it in the small. Because it means you're not used to hearing God's voice because you never actually listen to it. You're always doing you. So killing the will um, is to is to live according to truth, which is the gospel, which is a way of life. It's not an event. It's a way of life. And so it's much harder when you view it as a single a singular event. Um, when I was in Thunder Bay, so when I my last year of pharmacy school, we were, we were doing our rotations. So I had moved to Thunder Bay intentionally. And I wanted to stay there forever. I was in, on fire. I loved it religiously. It was the best place in my life. Health-wise was, 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 was legit, et cetera, et cetera. And then I sat back and I said, well, um, I had a, a two jobs in front of me. And I was like, God, which one do you want? And really, I chose those two jobs and said to God, of these two, which do you choose? Right? Like, I actually wasn't really asking for God's will while I was pretending to ask for God's will. Right? So I stepped back and I, and I actually caught myself, thank God. And I was like, okay, I'm not actually looking for God's will here. I'm not killing my will. I'm choosing two jobs that match my will and saying, choose between these two. And so I said to God, okay, I'm currently, I'm doing this wrong. So let me step back and I will apply to everything, even things I don't like. Now, when I was applying, I'm going to use this, this, this story throughout the talk. When I was applying, there's a monumental shortage of pharmacists at the time. So you as a pharmacist could get a job anywhere with almost any demand that you had. The only thing that they were mostly non-compromising about was that you had to sign a contract because they were worried that you'd leave. So I applied to hospital, clinical, the community, um, all these stuff. And I had been considering going back for a doctorate um, at the end of the year. So I was like, all right, let me throw into everything. So part of neutralizing the will, I'm not going to say where the story goes. We'll use it throughout, um, is to go against your will is to say, okay, let me open the options beyond the things that just I like or the things that I'm biased to or the things that I prefer, right? So 
Um, one helpful way to do this is to write out your pros and cons of your decisions. This is just an exercise. It's not the way, it's just helpful. Um, so that you can see where your bias is because your bias is, is probably going to show in your con list is going to be super short for the one that you like and super long for the one that you don't. Right. So it's to start looking at both and making them both all become equal. Right. Of being like, okay, yeah, I know that I like this and I like this, but you know what, let me look for what's really good in this option. I actually, if I were to go home, I could help with this and this and this and this and this. Um, as much as I like it out here, I'm not with my crew, that might also really suck. I might have the, like glorifying the one you don't like and debasing the one that you like so that, uh, so that the scales go from this to eventually coming to something neutral, okay? That's just to help you listen, right? So that you can come into a place where you're not um, at internal unrest, constantly debating, okay, this or this, but this has this, and I really like this, but I could have done this. And like, you, you, you're not gonna, you won't, you won't find a rest, right? Doing that, you're going to find yourself continually going through it. So try and neutralize, um, your, your will. Um, but then you need to surrender your will to his divine one. Okay, with a genuine belief that his will is higher and better. Does it mean like, do you really care about God as a person, as a being, right? In the sense that if God is who we say he is, he really actually knows what's best for me. He doesn't need to work it out. He knows what is best for me. Right. So I would want to lay down my will of saying, okay, you can see where the, it's almost like you're, you're walking through a maze and you're allowed to make a call and ask, am I going the right way? And you're calling somebody who's viewing this from above, from a helicopter that can actually see and you calling and, and not being sure that they actually can see the way. And it's like, well, I, I can see it. So if you're calling me, telling me, I want to go left. It's like, but I'm, I'm telling you the right way is right. Or I'm confirming that the way is left, either one, right? But you're being like, no, 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 no. But left, look, 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 I can see from over here. Like, I see light around that corner. And it's like, why are you calling me if you don't actually believe that I know? Is it that you think that I want to mess you up? Is it because you doubt that I can actually see? Like, what's the point of your asking? So, I mean, like, when you ask God, your will becomes a symbol of what you really believe, right? It's not a problem that you have an inclination. It's not a problem that you have a bias. It's not a problem that you have logic. Those are not problems. The problem is if I put those in front of God and say, no, 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 you don't know. I know. That's where that's a problem. Okay, so you've got to believe that he can will and wants what is absolutely best for you and that God wants you to be joyful and happy and that he wants what's best for everybody. That's a thing. So if your will is wavering, and we're going to come back to this later, if your will is wavering, usually it means you need more time. Okay, because if you're wavering, that instability, that lack of faith, or increasing doubts, 
They will lead you often to future unrest, depression, or anxiety. Okay? Because when you get what you want or everything comes to a, a finish, if you acted without some degree of your will being stable, you're going to be like, maybe I shouldn't have done that. And it'll freak you out. It'll freak you out. Right? So for me, for example, leaving Thunder Bay, right? Part of me was like, okay, a big part of my staying is the religious reason. But religion is about God, not about me. So why should I be afraid to ask God whether he actually wants me there? If it's really about him, right? Versus me saying, no, here's the way I'm going to love you, right? To go back to our, our analogy, it's like saying, I believe in this mission so much. And that's why no matter what, I don't care what the CEO says, I want to be in this office. And he's like, but... Uh, um, I, I, I think you should be in another office. And you're like, no, I got this. I'm, I'm telling you that you can, you can get your way, but it might not have been what's best. So the next thing for me, and this is a big one that I think our generation sucks at. I don't know about previous generations. I really don't, but I, I don't think that we're really good at this. Honesty. Honesty. I think many people think they are honest, but they are not. Um, and this requires a real self-confrontation about the thing that you're asking about. So some questions to, to challenge yourself on. Do I want this for a reason that I'm ashamed to say out loud? And we've all done that before, myself included. Okay, that that sometimes there's a there's a thing that we want, and it's the real thing motivating. For like like forget about God's will. Sometimes, for example, you might say something in a group, and you'll claim that you had some duty to say this truth, whatever it was, but the real reason you said it is that you wanted to put somebody down and prove a point. Right? It's these hidden things that we have. Where, where we might not be actually honest in our intention, right? For example, somebody might go to church early suddenly because he's hoping he'll be considered for priesthood, not because he wanted to be at church early, okay? Um, somebody suddenly found it in themselves that they want to go to this youth meeting because a hot girl or guy is there. But what they say out loud is, I think it's that time of my life, you know, where it's time for me to get serious about religion. Um, and so, and I'm not saying, therefore, don't go to the meeting. And I'm not saying, therefore, it's not God's will. I'm simply saying that sometimes we're hiding behind things. And so honesty exposes that. Do I want this for a reason that I'm ashamed to say? Am I pursuing this to be stubborn or to make a point? Okay, so I have met couples who are in a relationship to prove to everybody else that they're going to make it through. And they're not married. I'm like, well, I'm sorry, that's really stupid. If the goal of your marriage is just to prove that you can, well, your marriage is going to suck. Okay, point proven. Good for you. You're made it. Now what? Now you're stuck with each other forever. Right? And, and sometimes... Um, 
it'll be like, oh, like, oh, the church said don't date right now, or I'm gonna date for like some of the younger ones. Okay, whatever. Like, like it's not, it's not my loss. It's not the church's loss. Well, actually, it is the church's loss. Um, but my my point is that don't try and prove a point. Ask yourself because if you're trying to prove a point, the one who's gonna be the most wrecked is you. Because you're the one who knows the truth about it, right? So, uh, for example, I, I, I use this as an example regular. I'm, I'm not afraid of being vulnerable um, to some extent. To some extent, I am. Um, when I was a novice at St. Anthony's, California, and there's a discussion about me to go to, to St. Paul Brotherhood or not go to St. Paul Brotherhood, I had, I had to be very honest when I said out loud the warfare left of saying, part of me is afraid of looking like a failure. My whole life I've been monastic. My whole life I've talked about monasticism. Everyone thinks like that, that I would make an amazing monk. Everybody views me in this way, that way, the other way. I view myself in such and such a way. Now what happens if I leave? Does that mean I failed? Are they going to view me that way? Right? That maybe should I stick it out to prove that I could make it? But if I did that, I'm the one who would be miserable. It wasn't the right place for me at the time. Right. And that even the thought about that didn't mean that it was not monasticism. It might mean not monasticism here. Right. Things don't necessarily mean what they look like when we become objective. But being able to say that out loud was able to free me from doing it for that reason. Right. Like, what is the reason that I'm that I'm really pursuing this? OK. Am I doing something intentionally or unintentionally that will mislead people? So that I can get the thing that I want. Right. So um, I'm going to I'll use the monasticism example because it's easy um, where somebody wants to be a monk. And they think they need to sell it to their father confession. Right. So they start being like um, they, they share a, a room, for example, they have a roommate and they start sleeping on the floor. And they're not genuinely sitting on the floor as an asceticism. They want someone to start saying, he's sleeping on the floor. He's totally going to the monastery. The person wants the rumor to circulate, right? They start using monastic examples all the time. I've seen people who do this. I did some of them. I didn't do that one, but I did do some of them. Um, and it's, that's like, to some extent, psychologically, I think it's quasi normal, but it's not how you're going to hear God's will. Right. And so the idea is that is that I want to I want to sway people to view me to think in a certain way so that they like the idea already. I bet it's, it's kind of sold. That's not honesty. Knowingly or unknowing that will mislead people. Right. Because that's what's going to freak you out when it becomes permanent. Because let's say you got your way and you became a monk. What's going to haunt you the day after it's permanent when the hands are on you is. I faked this. If I hadn't done that, would they have said yes to me? Oh, no. Right? It suddenly gets fear. Because the idea is, don't worry about getting what you want. You can get what you want. Anybody can get what they want for the most part. If you're persistent enough, you can probably get it. But if the real question is, is this what God wants? Is this good? Is this good? Then I need to be honest. Right? Be honest with how... Um, you process information or events 
so that you're not skewing the things to mean things, right? Um, so where it's like, my boss didn't say this, that must be a sign that these people didn't do this, where it's like, no, be honest about whether or not that's, a, that's an interpretation you can really give or not give, okay? Be honest with how you approach your father confession so that you're not trying to get a particular answer, okay? So for example, somebody might come um, and say, I think I need to now do this in my household because I tried this and this and this and this and this. But they exclude information that would contradict that or that would lead the, the advice in another direction, right? So that you come off as a victim or you come off as this sacrificial person and the other person's not responsive. We, we as humans, we do this all the time. Honesty, honesty, honesty. How do you approach? Um, be honest that you have not been doing things that bias things or that confirm things. Okay, you don't want to force things in, 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 in any direction. You want things to be clear and honest. Prayer. These are not in order of importance. I'm assuming that you're praying the whole time. Prayer should not be, please, Lord, let this happen. That's not asking for his will. That's asking him to do something specific. Okay, because the real question should be, is this good? Is this right? Is this... Is this Consistent, Lord, with, with, with you, with our organization, with the mission statement. Is this good? Okay. Um, what's not your will, Lord? Please either remove from my heart or teach my heart to speak. Um, or help me not to be blinded. Right? These are things to pray. Lord, fill my heart with peace that is yours towards this thing. Remove the doubt from my heart. Turn every thought, every emotion, every interaction, everything into a prayer. Whatever you're worked up about. You're frustrated? Lord, I'm frustrated. I'm worried? Lord, I'm worried. I think this might happen? Lord, I think this might happen. Right? Change the direction of your thoughts and your deliberations towards God. Everything. Every doubt. Every consideration. Everything you're analyzing, turn it into prayer. Your calculations, your scenarios, your plan A's, your plan B's. Direct them at God. Okay. I don't know how to talk about prayer because I don't do it, but you simply have to do it all the time. Um, peace. This is a monumentally important factor. God's will comes with peace. That is not, not what I'm talking about here, is not psychological peace. You can reach psychological peace by debating something, analyzing something, um, doing that kind of thing. But God's peace is, is different. God's peace is, is an internal one, an interior one that grows with time, that doesn't diminish with time. It grows and grows and grows. Um, it's a peace that fills you in spite of whatever challenges to the idea or thought or decision that you come up with or that the devil comes up with. Look at all the times where God spoke in the Old and New Testament, it always had peace. There is always a message of peace be with you, fear not. Always. So God's will can't make you full of anxiety, right? The only time where it brings you anxiety is if you, in general, that's what I'm saying, if you are used to living the gospel, then you're not going to have any issue. For those who are not used to living the gospel, you might actually struggle, 
right? It's, it's like somebody who hates health being told to exercise. Exercise is definitely the right thing to do, but the person might hate it. So there is an exception to that. If you don't like things being right, then you might have a problem. But peace is something that should be there. If you don't have that peace, my personal opinion, do not proceed. Do not proceed. Because it will haunt you. You will not likely regret waiting, but you will more than likely regret rushing. Right? So don't don't like move without God's peace. Signs. Do not look for signs. Even, this is my opinion, this is not dogma. Even though signs can and probably will happen. And those are not contradictory. I'm saying don't go out with a flashlight trying to find signs. Because you will get them and you will be confused out of your mind about what they mean. And this brings so many people to their demise. Because when you get them and you overanalyze them, the devil will mimic them and create his own. So I, I know I've used this example in one of the talks, but um, my father confession used to talk about how signs often come in threes, etc. And so obviously I wanted to be a monk and I was on a, I was on a trip just as a lay person, normal trip to California. And on my flight back, some guy sitting beside me, I don't know him, we weren't talking. He like leans over, looks at me and he's like, are you gonna be a monk? And I was like, oh yeah, sign number one, right? So I was like, this is the best. I was like, I got number one, I need two more and I'm cruising. Um, and so I was super excited. And then we go to church and we have this hallelujah party, like our Halloween substitution thing. And some kid, no, it wasn't the Halloween party. It was just some other Sunday. He was like, he's like, are you going to be in a Buna? And I was like, oh, this is great. And I was like, what kind? I was like, monk kind or priest kind? Because I don't want priest kind. Is there a monk kind? Like, which one are you thinking, kid? Um, and so I was like, okay, this might be sign number two. But then some dude at work comes up to me and he goes, your destiny is to be here in the world. You, be, you better, and again, all unprovoked, all whatever. You need to be a pharmacist forever. This is your place. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Bad sign, bad sign, right? So I'm getting all these different things. And if I were to interpret them all, I can make them mean whatever I want, right? And then how am I going to differentiate? Like, no, 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 number three was demonic. Number two was mediocre. It was just a fluke. Number one was God, right? Now I'm going to interpret signs the way that I want to. Right, so the story of St. Paul gets me every time. When St. Paul, after suffering a shipwreck, they come up to an island and a viper comes out when they're sitting around the fire and grabs him by the hand and bites him. So the people on the island, because he was being transferred as a criminal, as awaiting trial to, to Rome, were like, aha, look at your fate. Clearly you're an evil person because even though you, you lived through a shipwreck, a viper has bitten you and you're going to die. That's a sign of your guilt. St. Paul just waves his, his hand and the viper falls off. And then the same people suddenly go, he's a god. It's been 30 seconds between two interpretations of the same action. 
One was that he was evil, and the next moment he's God. And both interpretations were wrong. Right? And so it can be very dangerous what we do with signs. So for me, um, I look at signs and I said, all right, you know what? I created a mental filing cabinet and I took all the signs and I put them on in a folder called stuff that happened because I think signs are better to be interpreted in hindsight rather than as prophetically, even though, even though signs are prophetic, it's just that the interpretation of those signs um, can be very, very misleading, difficult, and very dangerous because you might have a sign that meant something, but not in the way that you thought. God gave me many signs, I'm not going to get into them, about going to California to the monastery. But he didn't actually desire for me to be a monk at that monastery. And so if I were to interpret the signs and say, you said this, therefore it must be this, well, that becomes very difficult because then when I feel like he's saying to go, which is exactly what happened, it created confusion. But I thought, right? So like, yes, you want to go to California. Was it for the reason that I thought not necessarily, right? So signs can, can tell you something, but you might not interpret them right, even if what they're pointing at seems clear. Um, so they're important, but not. Don't talk about signs with people. Because the more you talk about them, the more, like, whatever you say out loud, the devil's listening. It's not just God who hears you. The devil hears you, too. He's got demons everywhere. So when he hears that you like something, he will mimic it and do it as well. To either push you towards something wrong or to push you in all directions just to make you so confused, so tired, exhausted that you give up in despair. So some people will say, well, what about Gideon? Gideon asked for a sign. Gideon did ask for a sign. To me, the, the difference is when God is asking you to do something directly versus when you're trying to figure out something or not. I'm not saying you can't ask for them, but I'm saying the demand for them, I think, is very valid when God has asked. God, Gideon is some dude sitting in the field hearing voices saying, go to war against the Philistines, even though you're outnumbered and you are outmanned, outgunned, and you have no skill as a warrior, Gideon. So Gideon's like, you're asking me to go to a bunch of people who think I'm a nobody because I am a nobody and say, lead an army and fight these people. I'm sorry if I go to my people and say, I heard a voice. They're going to call me crazy because that sounds crazy. So I need you to show me that it's really you because I'm ready to listen to you. That's the difference, right? So I'm not saying you can never, ever ask God for a sign. I'm saying be very careful, very, very careful with that. Don't, don't overdo the signs or you start playing a game of fortune telling. And that's very dangerous. Silence. Don't just not talk about your, your signs. Try when you're trying to make a big decision to discern God's will for a big thing, whether it's a relationship, a job, or a career, or move. Don't talk too much. Silence. You will get as many opinions, if not more, from the number of people you talk to. 
talk to mentors, talk to people who are skilled in that. That's not a problem. I'm not saying never ask for advice, but not too many. Don't overexpose yourself. You're going to get too much noise. Too much talk will skew your thoughts. It'll remove your neutrality that you were working towards. It'll make you seek to confirm a particular answer. Or it'll create the potential for you to do something maybe right in the wrong way. Right? And so your discussion causes other people's biases to become your own biases. And often they don't reflect reality or someone else's weights may be different than your own. Right? So for example, I did this at the monastery. I was freaking out. So I started talking to everybody that had ears. And anybody who knew me like before I went to the monastery, like, like nobody would ever know anything personal about my life that's going on. That was not a thing for me. I didn't like to talk about people in my decision making or about what I thought was a big deal, even with the nasty, like whatever God wills. I didn't like to talk about it. But I had gotten confused. I started talking to everybody, every monk, every priest, every human being, lay people, visitors, whoever. And there's a priest, God bless him, in the Diocese of LA. He's doing his 40 days. And he said, can I offer you a piece of advice since you're asking? And I was like, yeah. Stop talking to people. He said, you are like somebody sitting in front of a pond trying to see through the surface of the water. But your thoughts and your speech and all of that, you're like throwing rocks at the water. And everybody else's ideas and approaches and opinions are like throwing more rocks. So all you're seeing is a disrupted surface of the water. Just be quiet. Stop talking. Stop throwing rocks. The water will settle and you'll see clearly. It was one of the best pieces of advice I've ever received in my whole life. I've never forgotten it, right? That was seven years ago now. Um, very, very, very valuable. So don't talk too much about it. Talk very limited by those um, who, who should be consulted in that. Time. There's two more factors and we're, and we're done. Um, time is a great test. Like if I'm going to limit the will of God to three things, I would say prayer, time, and honesty. Those, like that would be the three to me. Um, because time tests the stability of something. You might have a crush on somebody. Uh, you don't do anything on it. You, you just sit tight. You go out in a group. Two months later, you're like, I don't know why I liked him. I don't like to like, like, like they're not what I thought, like they're nice, but like, that's not who I would date. Time let you see that. Right. Or you were really excited about a particular job prospect because it had this perk and this perk and this perk and this perk. And then you like two weeks later, you're chilling with a friend and you're like, I didn't realize how much I need these friends. I'm not sure that I could actually move right now. The job wanted me to move. Right. Like time, time lets things happen. Like those are like minor examples, but time exposes everything. Like we said earlier, anything rushed is usually bad news. God almost never, God doesn't rush people. When God needs to rush somebody, you're saying no gets overrided. Right. Like, like, if, like, I, like I always joke, if, if Joseph missed the memo about going to Egypt, right. God, I'm like, oh, well, I guess Jesus is going to die early. Right, he would have grabbed Joseph by the neck and shoved him to, on his way to Egypt. And said, I told you go. I, it was me. Right, like 
when he needs something done, he gets it done. So you're not rushing is not going to be a problem because if God is saying it, he's going to repeat himself. When God wants something, he doesn't need your help to make sure that he's heard. God knows how to yell. Okay, so we don't need to, to worry about that. He's God. Thoughts from God are persistent and they grow with time. The peace that we talked about, it grows with time. Right? I know somebody who God, God, God grant him grace, unfortunately ended up in a divorce. And when he's going through the divorce process, I was just ordained. He's describing like hell, right? And I'm just asking him like, so sorry, like, how did you get married? And he goes, I didn't have peace about my marriage. I, I wanted to break off the wedding for the whole two months leading up to the wedding, including the week before I was begging to end it. And I was told that it must just be nerves. Um, but I was petrified out of my mind. So my mind, I'm like, no, right? Like, like, that's why we're saying this peace that you, like, he's like, I never grew in peace towards this woman. I only grew in doubt. I'm like, that should never have been a, a, a thing. If the time is causing this growth in doubts, like the, 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 st the stability of your unrest rather than your rest, that, that says something that needs to be examined. It doesn't mean, therefore, it's done. It means you need to stop. And when you have the unrest, there's something that needs to get said out loud. That unrest usually indicates there's an, something you need to be honest about out loud. Articulate what the unrest is about. Because that's probably going to be the source of your issue that's going to bring you peace. That's my, my, my view. Um, and the doubt that's growing or persistent is often exposed by time. Now, what I'm not saying is that if you have any doubt, it must not be God's will. I'm saying the peace that you get from God comes in spite of God's will. Uh, sorry, comes in spite of your doubt. For example, when I was certain 100% that God was telling me to go to the brotherhood, and I was, it didn't mean I didn't have concerns about the brotherhood, right? It was that I know there's going to be some rough things. There's some things I'm worried about. There's some things I don't understand. There's some things I haven't figured out. There's some things I might not like. That's not a problem. It's saying that in spite of these things that I'm worried about or anxious about or cautious about, I know that I'm supposed to go there. That's all. Right? That it's not saying that I can't have something that I'm worried about. So, for example, you might feel peace about a job, even though there's some parts of the job that you're worried about. No problem. There's somebody that you're interested in marrying, even though you know there are some aspects that might cause some conflict. No problem. Those aren't no's, right? It's just simply saying that, like, is there a sign or not that this is from God? So God's voice, when it comes, is peaceful. His voice is calm. His voice is persistent. He either addresses your concerns or takes them away from you or both. Right? Like either he'll say, yes, that's a valid concern and I know it. Like I, I hear you, but yes, this is, I'm still telling you go. Or it's like, yeah, and, and don't worry about it. Maybe. Right? He will speak in many, many, many ways. Directly into your heart as a very real voice. Just because it's in your heart doesn't mean it's not real. An internal voice. It can be an audible voice, an external audible voice. It can be through your readings. It can be through others. It can be through signs. It can be through nature. He speaks. But if you don't have, this is what I'm saying, if you don't follow God's will in the small, and if you don't have a spiritual life, 
you won't hear him. This is why he said, my sheep, when they hear my voice, they know me. Because if I don't ever have a relationship with God, where is he going to speak from? For those who regularly read, he'll often speak through their readings. For those who regularly serve, he'll often speak through the service. For those who regularly pray, he'll speak through their prayers. For those who are regularly out in nature, he speaks through nature. Those who are out, like he, he is, he's happy to speak in so many ways. For those who regularly consult with their spiritual father, he'll often speak through that regard. With certain, certain missions, he speaks in a particular way. Often when it comes to priesthood, he'll speak through the bishop, among others. Right? But, there, but his, his voice comes in so many ways. Sometimes, sometimes he will slam doors shut to tell you, I'm saying no. Like, I, I am saying no. Other times, and this was, I, I joke, I call them his active silences. Sometimes he plays these, I don't want to call them pranks, but he'll, he'll open a bunch of doors. He'll be like, yeah, 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 I can do this. I get it. I know you want this one, right? I get it. You're asking me about this one. Open, open, open. Yeah, you thought you're going to take it? Slam. No, I get you. I hear you. I'm saying no. You ask me what I want. I'm saying not this one. Right? But it's because there's something even better coming. Right? And so you've got to be honest about whether you really want God's will. That's why I said I'm assuming you actually want it. Right? Because sometimes people will pray, for example, this one always kills me. The post-breakup conversations are they're always entertaining in hindsight they're not in the moment but where the post breakup talk where it's like i don't know what god wants from me i was praying so hard for his will and i'm like so if he's saying no then why are you upset <laughs> like if you were asking yes or no and he answered you then why is this so upsetting to you if that's what you claim to be wanting because it sounds like you weren't praying god do you want it or not it's not like you're saying god make it happen because i like it Right. So that's that's not that's not his voice. His voice is, is clear. His voice is calming, reassuring. It fills you with awe, reverence, joy, peace, and it makes you thirsty for more. Um, I want to um, end the talking part. Good. It was exactly an hour with a quote from Origin that I really like. Um, because it pushes the idea that there are something God might not have a will about. Right, where if something is according to the gospel, it's not contradicting the gospel, and there's not an issue where he's like, it's it's up to you, right? Like I, I I always joke about how the apostles, when they planned the Euro trip, they planned it, right? They chose their cities, they chose their things, they chose where they were going, and the Holy Spirit stepped in and said, actually, step out, go here, and don't go here, but the rest of it, do your thing, and the Holy Spirit didn't say, hey, 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 what you doing? walking around Europe, not asking me first, right? There was, there was none of that, okay? Um, and so we sometimes get caught up in that. So I wanted to use this quote from Master Origin because I think it was, it, it, it captures it. So it's a little, it's a paragraph long, bear with me. Um, and we'll, we'll wrap it up and let, we'll give time for questions. When Paul says, he's actually commenting on Romans. Um, when Paul says that he is praying that somehow, and at some point he may have a successful journey, so that in the will of God, he might come to Rome. It must be remembered that since the apostle of God is dedicated to a holy work, that is, to the work of the gospel, he is waiting until by his prayers, not only may he have a journey which is successful, but also that it might be successful according to the will of God. 
How much more, therefore, ought we, whose work and worth are so much less important, to ask God for success on our journey when we have some business to attend to? Nevertheless, I think that the Apostle also wants us to understand that the success of a journey does not always mean that the journey is according to God's will. That, a, that something can be successful but have nothing to do with God's will, is what he's saying. For Balaam had a successful journey when he went to Balak in order to curse the people of Israel. But this success was not due to God's will. And many people have great success in worldly affairs and rejoice in their prosperity, but such prosperity is not of God's will unless the purpose of our journey is to do his will, as the apostle says here. So he's saying that you need to make your will always God's will. Otherwise, what you're doing might, might be successful, but might not have anything to do with God. I lied. There's one more point I wanted to address, one and a half more points that I completely forgot. I think they're important, so forgive me. Uh, number one, um, I'll come back to it right, right after. Um, what happens if, okay, no, I'll number one. Number one is that, <laughs> my bad. Um, I'm saying all of this, okay, and I'm saying that God might not really be interested in certain things that you do or don't do. Right, whether you bought the red lipstick or the blue one, whether you like chose 7-Eleven on this street or this street, there are some things that he might say, yeah, whatever, Habibi. Okay, but the 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 heights of spirituality are when you say, like the Lord, not my will but yours. And that there is a way in your own life where you will see the smallest of things, including should I go left or right, as being about God. So I want to make sure that it's understood that I'm not mocking that or just saying that actually is a very deep thing that I pray that all of us reach um, because that's where God works to you the absolute most. So that is a thing. I'm not diminishing from that. But I, what, I'm, what I'm trying to also release people from is the anxiety of every little decision that there's a specific thing that they're supposed to do, that if they don't do it, that they're messed up. Which is why I want to say that point number one, because point number two is, if you mess up, it's okay. Okay? Jacob, God spoke to his mother, okay, to saying, I'm going to bless Jacob, not Esau. It was God's will said, point blank, the blessing goes to Jacob. Jacob and his mom thought they'd help God out a little bit. And they operated the deception and they tricked Isaac. Right? Rebecca and Jacob ganged up on Isaac. That was a mistake. And because it was a mistake, there were consequences. Jacob had to flee his house. Right? He left as a fugitive to work for his uncle. But what I'm trying to say is, did that make God forsake Jacob? No. He blessed Jacob, he prospered Jacob, he reconciled Jacob with his brother, right? He gave the promise, the covenant to Jacob. Everything was through Jacob, not through Esau. God didn't say, I take it back because you messed up. So even if you go off, off stream, our good, our God is good, right? Our God is good and, and, and behold, we have a God who can work all things, even evil events towards good. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Glory be to God forever. Amen. Sorry, I went four minutes over. 
Um, any, okay, so there are questions already. So feel free to throw questions in here. Um, I don't know if there are questions, I'm not looking at the Facebook side. So if there are questions on the Facebook side, if somebody could paste them here, would be great. Um, so uh, I think this is the first one. So God's will should give us peace, but does that also require that we have trust in and unity with him? Can our moments of doubt or spiritual dryness get in the way of seeing God's will and getting that feeling of peace? Um, yes, they can. They can do that. Um, but that's why I'm saying I'm assuming the spiritual guidance, because what happens is that as you get more comfortable um, with it, you get experience, right? So the way that, I'm, that I would look at it is look at a relationship, okay? When you go into a relationship, um, you go onto a relationship based on something, right? I, I don't think most people walk into a human being store um, and look at all the different people they could marry and be like, okay, I choose that one, right? Like I'll buy that one, right? There is some context where there's enough to say, I think I could hit it off with that person. Now, as you start that relationship, um, you're getting to know each other. And so the person might say something that makes you feel horrible. And so you're like, oh, wow, like, I don't know how I feel about this person. They didn't bring me peace. And so that might make you be like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to break up right now. This is done. I got to go. But a person who says, ah, that I didn't like that. I'm going to say it out loud, honesty. Right now the person's like, oh, cause I meant this or that or the other thing. What happens as you spend more and more time together? You learn each other's behaviors. You learn each other's actions. You learn each other's moods. You learn, oh, this person, when they're hungry, they're nasty. Don't talk to them when they're hungry. This person is this, they're that. And you start to feel more comfortable in your own skin around each other. Right? And so that's how we deal with God too. And that, that's what I'm saying. If you're in a relationship with God, like you said, right? Like this whole unity with him and that is that this is what he means. You know my voice because you spent so much time with me. You get me now. Right. So now when I'm saying it, you're like, oh, okay. And so then you develop experience and then it's more comfortable. Right. And then you also learn about yourself of being like, oh, no, no, no. I know that I get worked up when I, when I'm caught off guard, when I'm told this without any warning. And so I need my time to digest it versus another person who's totally chill. Right. We're like, yeah, cool, whatever. So we develop that with our relationship over time. So it can blind us, right? Like what you're saying of this immediate reaction. But if we stick it through, things become clear and clear and clear and clear. Like I struggled with the Thunder Bay thing, right? Eventually God spoke so directly and I was overflowing with joy. And not only was I so happy, but I didn't trust what he wanted. Honestly, I didn't. Like, it's not like I can say I was so gung-ho and yeah, I was like, are you serious? You want me to work for Walmart? You got to be kidding me. I hate that company. Um, and then I'm like, I'm going to look like a moron. All my friends think I'm smart. I'm going to work in a garage. Like these were my thoughts, right? Whether they're accurate or not, doesn't matter, right? They thought I was going to be a professor. Here I am stuck in some thing. I refused to wear my, my badge the first month there. I'm like, I don't want to wear that badge. Um, and so what, whereas when you trust God, right, then I was just like, everything that I wanted was in it. And I didn't know. I was going to Egypt every year for a month on top of my vacation. I don't know how that worked out. Making money more than I thought. 
they were like, oh, we're so sorry. I had wanted to live up north. We're so sorry. We're going to ask you to go up north three months a year. We're going to pay for your food, your drink, for your lodging. We're going to pay you a premium rate. We're so sorry. I'm like, I think I'll, I'll, I'll get through it. I'll try my best, right? And so he was designing it. So that later on when he'd be like, I want to go this, I'm like, okay, where are we going now? Right? Where there is less of an argument, less of a question mark because it becomes easier, right? But that's, that, that comes from the, from the experience that comes with time. I feel like people aren't telling God that he doesn't know. I just think that maybe they can hear or see what he's telling them or uh, they can't, sorry, they can't hear or see what he's telling them or that is from him. Especially sometimes, since sometimes God takes an active role, but other times a passive one. Um, I don't know if that makes sense. Yes, that does make sense. It does make sense. And that's related to the, the question right before it of saying that when you build relationship, you become able to interpret more clearly. Because even the goal of the spiritual guide is not to forever be the voice of God for you. It's actually to help teach you how to hear God. Um, so that even you in your own spiritual life can, that you can also teach your own children. That's not just the job of the priest, right? That the parents have a role in that too. And that the parents will be able to say, let me tell you about this. That they can tell their own if they're serving, those kind of things too, right? That, that, that experience is for everybody. Actually, that's one of the most beautiful things of the New Testament is that God's saying, this is no longer just for prophets. Because in the Old Testament, the will of God was only determined by prophets. Whereas in your baptism, all of your baptism and my baptism, we have all become prophets by the Holy Spirit coming in us. That now God talks to all of us, not just to a specially ranked prophet. He speaks to everybody. Right? It's, it's, it's a beautiful and comforting thing. Um, what is the balance of being honest with your motives, but also the whole fake it till you make it concept. For example, you think that a good spouse should do X, Y, Z and X, Y, Z is out of character for you, but you do it anyways. And it's not authentic on you. Is that the wrong motive? No, it's not the wrong motive, right? So what would happen would be the question mark of, is there an objectively right thing to do? Because if there's an objectively right thing to do, that's living the gospel. That's what I'm saying. If we're living the gospel, that's the standard. If I'm not in the gospel, I won't hear God. And so the fake it to you make it is when it's like, um, I don't like watching calories, but I'm going to do it anyway. You don't need to pretend that you like watching calories, right? The fake it to you make it is, well, I guess I want health. I'll, I'll, I'll do it anyway. But no, I'm not excited about this diet. And no, I'm not excited about the gym, right? Versus um, somebody, I don't know, like popping acid. Forgive me, like to, to use it as an extreme act, act thing of saying, I think not doing acid is stupid, but I'll fake it till I make it. And it's like, no, there's an objective wrong here, right? Like, like objectively, that, that goes against your health. So this is not a mood thing. Right. And so that's that's where it is. The fake it you make it is more about about moods and inclinations. But when it comes to something objective, we're all kind of stuck, all of us, even when we don't particularly like it, myself included sometimes. Um, what if I'm someone naturally prone to anxiety or who doesn't take change well? How can I determine if this is something from God, like being told not to follow through with something? Or if it's just a fear of what to come because I haven't developed the level of faith or I'm not that spiritual level yet. Um, what is that God, 
does speak to us individually too. So what I mean by that, because I know we, we just said that, is that if I have an anxiety issue, God knows that about me. Okay, so it's not a secret from God. He knows that. And so he can speak even through that, right? What may differ, I mean, this you're not taking it to this extreme, but somebody, for example, who might have an anxiety disorder. Somebody with an anxiety disorder might have to rely more on the mentors around them than themselves. No problem. That's, that's their particular situation, right? Where they might need more help navigating because of their anxiety about it. Right. So what I would say is I would pray from that place and say, you know, that I have fears. You know that I have anxieties. You know that what I want is to do what you want. So speak through that noise, cut through me because I'm not erecting those as barriers. I'm not making those. They're just there. And so because it's not my will that they be there, they're just there. Please speak through it, navigate through it, and get to me, because I want you. And at the same time, that's what I'm also saying, and don't be afraid. Don't be afraid if you make a mistake. Then you'll feel so free, right? You're not going to be worried. Like, you're not going to be like, oh, no, what if I do this? What if I do this? What do I do this? You'll be more at rest just being like, okay, cool, we're trying this. It might not work. It might be a mistake. No problem. We all make mistakes. Am I willfully making a mistake? Am I stupidly making a mistake? Okay, no, I've done to the best of my human ability. You might have done all of your homework and then two years later find out there's one little thing that you didn't do that would have changed your decision. No problem. It's not like you knew and ignored it. You didn't know, right? That way you can have peace about it. And that's why I'm saying honesty is what frees you from all of this. Right. Like I, I'm in the middle of discerning God's will about something. I sat with my bishop. Right. I spoke with my bishop earlier today and I was like, I don't want to bias you. I don't want to bias you because I don't know if God wants me here or God wants me here. I have personal biases because there are some things that I like more than other things based on where I am right now. So I just want to present in front of you um, the uh, things that I'm anxious about, the things that I'm considering the things that I, I want, the things that freak me out. Um, because if I don't say them out loud, I'm going to doubt the decision because I'm going to feel like if I hadn't told you this, you might have not done this. And then I'm going to feel stuck. So I want everything on my heart to be laid out. And then whatever you tell me, I'm yours. Right? And what some people, I think, forget is that sometimes God's will is the same as yours. And it's not rare. Right? Like where, where again, where he wants to be happy. He's like, yeah, go. That's a good idea. Right? Like, yeah, you're going to be happy there. So I hope that answered that. If I didn't, please follow up. Um, how do I reduce the will of God to an infinitely amount of present moments instead of long journey? In other words, how can I concern myself only with the present doing his will now instead of worrying about the future will of God for me? That's, that's, that's an awesome approach. Right? Live the gospel at all times. That's why, like, again, my motto in life, be yourself, don't sin. That's it. Because whatever, whatever gift you have in terms of your personality is what you share with God. Right? So if you're a compassionate person, 
it's because God is compassion. If you're a service-oriented person, it's because of God's service. If you're um, an artistic person, it's because God is the artist. If you are a mind-bending person, it's because God is the engineer. Right? So, so great. This is how you're sharing in God. This is a good thing. This is how you're going to get to know him. So to have God's will in the small is to say, how do I live the gospel at every moment? Somebody's angry. Do I get angry back? Do I insult him? Do I lose my temper? Do I raise my voice? Do I offer comfort? Do I say I'm not in the mood? What is my Christian response right now? I am in this situation. I could do this thing or this thing. Which one do I do? So it's, it's really just about turning to the gospel and everything. And you'll just be living the rest of life normally, not worrying about it. Things will just happen naturally. Right? And so when God wants something, he'll tell you. Like, like we really overcomplicate it. Like, I feel bad for God so often where I'm like, the poor God is like being yelled at for everything. He's like, I never said that. I didn't ask you to do that. Like, I didn't tell you, I didn't take them. I didn't ask. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Here's a cookie. You want a game? Oh, here's a game. You want to go to the, oh, here you can go. I, I, I love you guys. No problem. Right? And so we, we really victimize God. <laughs> Um, in a lot of things and then we we label it God and then the whole world thinks it's God and then everybody hates God um, and I was like man we're the worst ambassadors right we're supposed to be his kids so in every moment look for the gospel be yourself semicolon don't sin um, I find when I need to seek spiritual guidance I like to get a bit of knowledge and wisdom from a few different spiritual guides in my life I'm not looking to hear what I want to hear but is, is it all right to do that if so, what should I be doing when I'm seeking guidance to make sure I'm making the most of different things I hear from those guides? Um, great question. Um, because a lot of people are very guilty of this and this is dangerous. Um, not what you're doing, but this multi-shopping, the pre-shopping thing. Um, yeah, that, that's a problem. It's a major problem because this is a scary story that Abuna and Kitchener used to always tell us. Um, when the people were seeking false prophets, as yes men, they start going to the real prophets because they literally said, don't go to these guys, they're gonna say no, go to these guys. God goes, I will speak a lie on the mouth of these prophets because they are not seeking my voice. Um, yeah, it's scary, right? So number one is your motivation and your intention. Are you looking for somebody to just tell you yes? right? Um, if that's not your intention, you're already in a safer space. Two, I would say, is to disclose it, is to say, I'm coming just for an opinion, right? Because we're not looking like spiritual, like priests and spiritual fathers, father confession, etc. shouldn't be looking to control you. If they are, there's already something wrong in the relationship, okay? And so the, 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 the objective of any proper guide is to give you direction to help you in your guide, the relationship with God, you in your dream with God, you to, to learn it. I would compare it to help you out like with the situation you're talking about. If you have a GP, right? You've got your general practitioner, you've got your, your primary physician, and you've got specialists. For most things, you should go to your primary, okay? If the thing that you're seeking there are other specialists around who know a lot about it. There's nothing wrong with saying I'm going in for just a consult. 
But what I always say is at the end of the day, come back to your primary with the decision that you're making. That way, don't worry about it, right? You'll feel safe. You can ask, you can talk, you can discuss, right? But that you don't make changes. You don't make big decisions without going to your primary. That's, that's how I would approach it. Um, and I'm glad that you get advice because honestly, the two extremes are like shopping opinions, opinion shopping, sorry. And then the other extreme is <laughs> not asking at all, right? Being totally self-willed. So, so it's, it's, it's good that you're, that you're asking. Um, uh, if someone has been honest with themselves and seen their will wasn't for God, what's the next step? Um, I don't know if I'm understanding this question completely um, properly. So uh, I'm going to try and answer it. And if I'm not, please, um, please send a, a follow-up one. Um, I think what you're asking is, what do I do if what I wanted was in God's will and I, and I'm not happy or, or like, it's, it's, it's sad. I don't, I, I, I'm guessing that that's what it means. Um, number one, that, that can hurt, especially because we get excited about things, right? That's human. That's, that's normal. Okay. But it's to say, okay, I really do believe that God wants what's best for me. So it's actually very nice of God. If he actively said no, because it means he's actually protecting me. Because in general, God wants me to be able to do whatever I want. That's why we started with that. I was saying, go play, right? When you create out news, go, go play, right? So if I change my perspective to God took something away from me or God didn't want me to have something or, or why didn't God let me have this? If I understand God right, then I'll understand that it actually must be because he cares, right? And so if that's my understanding, I'm going to be more at peace with it because I get that it's not the right place for me, right? So for example, like I said in my own example, I wasn't happy when God said work for this company. And I even the first year, in spite of hearing God's voice so directly, I'm an idiot, I was still trying to leave, right? And God is like, I said, come here. Right. And that, like, again, was the time state. I'm like, this is pretty sick. Right. Like, I'm so hooked up, like, compared to, like, so many people right now. Like, I'm getting away with murder. Right. And so you get more comfortable with, um, you get more comfortable with that when you really want what's right. It's a really becomes a question of, do you believe he's omniscient? And do you believe he's good? Because if you believe those two things, I think that's what will help you get out of your funk. The other thing is more of a, just like a, a practical thing is look at the good of, of, of your situation, right? Because there's always good in your situation, right? Or just being like, okay, well, at least I'm not losing this. Because like, if I was moving from one job to another, well, there's good things at whatever job I was already at, right? So why did I like it, right? What are the things that are good? I would say in general, be a person who always looks for the good and not a person who looks for the negative. Because a person who's always able to see the positive in every situation is a cheerful person. But a person who's always looking to be gratified or always looks for the negative is always going to be negative. Always. Negativity breeds more negativity. Is there a danger in trying, uh, sorry, is there danger in trying to find, in finding, to, trying to find God in your Bible reading in a forceful way? For example, making connections that might be overreaching but have spiritual significance to you in the situation. Yes. 
um, there is a danger in that. Um, there's a joke that I don't, I don't think is actually funny, um, but I heard it in a sermon once where some priest was talking about somebody who was considering killing himself or something that's not funny. And then he opened the Bible at random and then found the verse that Jesus says to Judas, that which you do go quickly. Um, and so I was like, let's not use the suicide example. But um, so, uh, yeah, let's make it up with something else. He wants to steal. Right. So like, yeah, we could abuse it. Right. But I'd also say that God definitely uses it. But you, if you're, that's why I'm talking about honesty. So let's say you're in that situation. Let's use that as our scenario. Number one is examine yourself. Am I trying to make this mean something right now? Because when God speaks, it jumps off of the page in scripture. Like, like, it's like, I am telling you this person this. Okay. Number two, I would go to my father confession which I've done before. So I'll give you an example. This is what I mean about the devil abusing things. I had done a really horrific sin. I was in my last year of pharmacy. I was very worked up about it. Um, and I felt disgusting, horrible, wretched, and all sorts of negative things. I ran to my room. I was praying. I was crying. Um, I opened the Bible. And I opened up the Bible and the thing that I was reading jumped out like crazy with the, one of the most comforting things ever. Like I was saying, I forgive you. You're my son essentially. And like, like you, yes, it's wrong. It wasn't validating, but like come back. We're good. So I was like, this is great. I told my father confession. Three days later, I did the same sin again. And I was like, let's do it again. Cause that was really nice. Um, and I get it again and again. And I was like, I want to keep sinning because I love this conversation I'm having with God. Right. And Abuna's like, what the heck? Like, no, God's never going to do that. He's like, I, I really think this first one might've been from God. And then the devil was hijacking. Okay. Um, because what I was not doing at that time, this is the only, that only twice in my life have I ever done this opening the Bible at random, not a thing for me whatsoever, but I was doing it then. And my going at random gave the devil opportunity. Okay, so by exposing it, that can help. Versus, for example, when I was struggling with my calling about monasticism, and I wasn't sure, I was scared out of my mind, and I was reading my normal readings, not at random. Right? And I was like, God, what if I'm crazy? What if these things that I thought were signs are hallucinations, psychology, um, all of these things, misreading, blah, 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 blah. Like, okay, maybe I'm psycho. Maybe what I really need is a shrink. Um, and I've already quit my job. Maybe I should get my job before it's too late. I haven't left yet. Um, when I opened my Bible, not at random, the very first thing I read was, fear not, it is I who have called you. Right? So that there'd be a, like, a real peace. So yes, there's definitely a danger because you know when you're overreading, right? You know when you're like, oh, but this could be like this. And, and, but what I would also say, sorry, I'm taking too long to answer this question, but what I would also say is that your meditations, even if it's not God speaking directly, but your meditation could still be valuable. Like, so what you're calling reaching might be a meditation as opposed to God speaking, right? So you might be able to say, oh, well, I could apply this in this situation in this way. That's not a bad thing, right? That's not necessarily a deception either. So what I would say is that if your meditation is calling you to action or your meditation has made you think about God in a particular way, go discuss that. Don't just act on it.
in case it's not there. But if something is just a meditation of, look, maybe this will help me live the gospel better in this way, good. Right? That's still spirit-filled. It might not be God giving a particular specific message, but it's still, that doesn't make it of no value. Okay? So it doesn't have to be completely negative or completely from God. Um, uh, If a relationship didn't work out, can we say it was just God's will or could it have been our own shortcoming? Yeah, it could have been your own shortcoming. Yeah, definitely it could be. And, and that's why I'm just saying, the real question that I ask sometimes is, when someone says it wasn't God's will, I ask them, how did you know? Because so many people just say that. Right? And I'm like, how do you know it wasn't just you? Right? So that was the whole point of the talk at the beginning of saying, um, do I believe that God has one person for every single individual? I don't. Personally, I don't. Does he for some people? Yes. Does that mean he cares about one person less than another? No. Right? He's dealing with every one of his kids individually. And so there are some people that will only work out with some people, right? Like it's like some people that you know where it's like, no, this person better marry somebody with these attributes or they're screwed. Like their marriage is done. Right? And no problem. It doesn't mean that he or she is good or bad, right? It's, it's being objective that this is a characteristic of this person, right? In the same way that I think God saved me from marriage because any poor woman that had to deal with me would have died, right? So it's like, okay, like he was like, let me save the world from AP, no problem, right? And at the same time, he gave AP lots of stuff that he likes. He's like, okay, you don't have kids, you like kids, I'll give you lots of communities where, where, where you'll feel love, right? So it's beautiful, right? So he, 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 he does his thing. Um, so yes, it could definitely be our shortcoming. 100% it could be our shortcoming. Um, if, thank you uh, to the person quoting from, uh, sending from Facebook. If you try to neutralize both lists, wouldn't that make you more confused if the pros and cons are almost equal? And the second one is it is sinted out. Okay. So for the first question, um, no, because we're not making our decision based on the pro and con list. The, the point of the pros and cons list was just to calm you down. To, start, to help you get rid of your bias, that's all. Because when you're worked up about something, you only see the pros of it, right? So like me debating, like, like trying to figure out Ottawa versus Vancouver, which is not an easy thing. And thankfully I don't have to make that decision. Um, was like, okay, but I love this and I love this and I love this about where I am. And I love this community and I like being close to my family and I like being close to my, my home church and my home crew that I, that I grew up with. And these new people that I met that I really, really love and this and this and this and this and this and this. Right. Then I look at Vancouver and I'm like, okay, well, I love Vancouver and it's great, good health. It's good for my health. And it's got close proximity to the brotherhood. I can go back to my cell regularly and I can see my Cali crew regularly and I can do this and I can do that. And, and like, there's, it was to see the good in both. So it's like, okay, Lord, what do you want? Because when I could only see the pros on one side, right, then it's like, oh man, like, I don't want to do that. And then if God actually wants me to go there, now I'm going to go there begrudgingly, angrily, dragging my feet, right? Like Jonah, right? Jonah knew God wanted him to go, but Jonah didn't go willingly. Jonah dragged his feet and then he was pissed off about it, right? He was even mad when the people got saved, right? Where God's like, dude, what's your problem, man? 
right? And he was like, these are my, these are my kids. So that's the point of the list. We're not making a decision from the list. The list is just to help us. Um, you don't have to make a list, right? That's not a, that's not a, a dogmatic thing. I just think it's a helpful exercise. Is it a sin to doubt? No. Actually, it can be. I shouldn't say it so emphatically. It can be. Um, having doubt about an issue is natural because you don't have full knowledge. And so you're going to have some doubts even with respect to God. Where it's sinful is when you start to doubt the goodness of God. When you start to... Um, use that doubt against someone. It's not wrong to be like, I'm not pretending to have full knowledge. I'm not pretending to have full trust and being honest about that. Thomas had doubt and exposed it before God and God was not angry with him. The apostles fled. They had doubt. He was not angry with them. So there's no problem with the doubt. It depends on how you use it and what it's directed at. But no, it's not intrinsically wrong. Um, this was the last question and then we'll wrap it up. Um, a Kenyan priest from a different denomination said he had a dream concerning my future vocation. Can I trust that? I would neither trust it nor discard it. I would use that in my own mind as, like I said, the filing cabinet in your brain of stuff that happened. Um, because the right way to live, and this is a good way to end. The right way to live is to live according to the gospel in all things. If we live according to the gospel in all things, we will have no fear about tomorrow. We will have no concern for tomorrow. We will not worry about what we will eat, what we will drink, what we shall find, because we are more precious than a few sparrows. Right? That God cares, loves, and wants the best for us. To me, glory forever. Amen. Thanks, homies. Um, let us uh, conclude with prayer. Um, I'm going to turn off my camera because I'm going to laugh during trespasses. Um, and then um, <laughs> we'll say goodbye. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, and Lord, make us worthy to pray with all thanksgiving. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive us. And lead us not temptation, but this evil one be gracious, our Lord. Thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. <laughs> the love of God the Father, the grace of God and Son, the communion that gets with you all. Go in peace, the peace of the Lord be with you all.